Good morning everyone in Los Angeles and good night from Yerushalayim and wherever you're listening to this, if you're watching the recording, I'm actually recording this in Jerusalem where I am um, just for a couple of weeks of lockdown followed by a week when Mayor is going to be applying to join the uh, IDF. So here we are together in Yerushalayim, gives me time to learn and to share Torah and I'm delighted today to present you with a topic that has long puzzled the Mepharshim. I'm going to actually look at it through the prism of the Nesivas Sholem, who those of you who listen to me regularly will know is one of my favorites. Um, but actually, originally it was an Erechaim. That means the Nesivas Sholem bases himself um, extensively on the Erechaim, and he runs with the Erechaim's ball and just takes it a little further. We're going to begin. It's a... Uh, chapter 25 in Chofhei in Bamidbar, Parshas Pinchas. I've always wondered, by the way, why is it Chukas Bolok that are the two sedras that are put together and not Bolok Pinchas? That makes much more sense, doesn't it? So that's always puzzled me, but there you go, because Pinchas is really a continuation of the story of Bolok and Bilam, and then the Benois Midion and Cosby and Zimri, and it starts off with the Magefa that came to an end because Pinchas stuck his Roimach, his spear, through the uh, two uh, fornicators. And then we have the following Psukim. This is Posuk uh, Tes Zayin 16 in chapter 25 of Bamidba. Ba'idabe Hashem al Moshe Lemer. What does that usually mean? You all know, right? When it says Ba'idabe Hashem al Moshe Lemer, what it means is that Hashem wants, God wants Moses to give an instruction to the Jewish people that they need to carry out a mitzvah. Now, some of those mitzvahs, occasionally, are mitzvahs for the moment. Some of those mitzvahs are mitzvahs for all time. Okay, so it's ambiguous. And obviously, when we have the minyan ha-mitzvahs from the Rambam or from the Ramban, or from the various other different counts of mitzvahs that exist, you see whether or not a mitzvah is included in the 613, so you know whether or not it was a mitzvah that was for then or for later. But in any event, there's no disagreement that the mitzvah that we are about to hear is a mitzvah that did not apply necessarily beyond the immediate moment. Let's hear what the mitzvah was. This is now Yud Zayin, Pasuk Yud Zayin of Perik Chofhei. Attack the Midianites and defeat them, smite them. That's a very obvious thing. You know, the Midianites had caused them a lot of problems. Now it's time to smite them. And God explains to Moshe Rabbeinu why the mitzvah is being given. For they attacked you. How did they attack you? How does somebody normally attack? What type of attack would we be discussing if there is an attack? We'd be talking about an attack that's a military attack, but that's not what it says. With their trickery, that they tricked you, because of Pa'ur, Pa'ur was um, an ancient pagan god, and because of their relative Cosby, who was the daughter of a Midianite chieftain, 
Hamuka Beyoim Hamagefa al Devar Pa'ur, who was killed at the time of the plague because of Pa'ur. Lots of things going on in that Pasuk. First is that they attacked you, but they didn't really attack you. They tricked you. This was a game of trickery. How did they trick you? Not very clear. It doesn't really say what they did to trick. But the hint is there. We know that they put their, the daughters of Midian were put on display so that they could engage in sexual relations with the Jewish nation. As a result of which we know there was a plague and 24,000 people died. There was only one end that was possible to the plague that everybody would stop. And that was um, done, literally executed, when Pinchas killed Cosby and Zimri, who were engaged in fornication in full display in front of the people. The question is, was this just um, a, 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 an attempt to get people to be debased? Or was there some other motivation going on here? So this posuk, and this is spoken in the words of Hashem, makes very clear that the reason why the reason why the Jewish nation was put through this terrible situation was so that they should worship Pa'or. Somehow through the attraction of these women they would no longer be servants of God, they would no longer be faithful to God, rather they would be faithful to Pa'or. That's what this posuk is there to tell you. Okay, so now they've got this mitzvah. You agree? They've got the mitzvah. The mitzvah is Why? Well, we've just said why that should be the case. It should be the case because it's really important that we punish them for the fact that they attacked the Jewish people. Okay, so what's going to happen now? If, if you were given an instruction, what would you do? Moshe Rabbeinu was just told, tell the Jewish people, attack the Midianim, the Midianites. What happens then? Nothing. It's a, a, a massive zero. Vayahi acharei ha-magefa vayoymer Hashem el-Moshe ve-lelozah ben-aron ha-koyen leymer. The plague was over and God said to Moshe Rabbeinu and Elazar the son of Aaron, don't forget that Aaron had died, Take a census of the Jewish people from the age of 20 and above. Anyone who is, who is um, uh, worthy of serving in the army of God, he should be counted. Remember the word se'u is an interesting word. Count the Jewish nation. Does that sound like Does that sound like attack the Jewish nation? No, it sounds like they've changed the subject. We shifted gear and we're talking about something else completely. Suddenly we're talking about something else completely. What happened to attacking the Midianites? What exactly happened? To the instruction, It's not important anymore? Suddenly it's no longer relevant? We just had an instruction, it's a mitzvah from Hashem. Okay, it's a good question. Do you agree it's a good question? You can just nod if you agree it's a good question. I think it's a very good question. Thank you. I, I like the fact that Kali's nodding. And the rabbi, Reb Simcha, has put his thumb up. Thank you for that. 
Okay, so we actually it's the Orachaim. The Orachaim asks that question and he delves quite deeply into the whole topic of Tzoreres Hamidyonim Vihikisem Oisam. Uh, he's clearly very taken with this subject, but I, as I said, I'm going to refer to this entire situation through the medium of, um, of the, of the Nesivus Shalom. He says, By the way, if you want, you can find um, the Nesivus Shalom. I've scanned it. You can find it uh, on the SoundCloud. You'll find it on my website. You'll find it on the YouTube. Just uh, click on it and you'll have it. You can print it out. If I get through the whole thing, that's wonderful. I don't always get through the whole thing. But either way, you can look through the words. Um, and I think, can you post it now, Carly? Is that possible? Not sure if you can post it. Yes, she can. She's done it. Very good. Excellent. Thank you for that. Okay, so says the Nesivus Sholem, Yesh Levar in Yonashel Tzivuizeh. We need to understand this instruction. Because the Urachaim HaKodesh says that they were not instructed really to fight with the Midianites. It's only much later on that they were told to avenge the vengeance of the Jewish people from the Midianites. And there it says, There we see the entire battle, the great war that was fought between the Jewish people who fought a military campaign against the Midianites. In which case, what exactly were they being told to do here? That they should attack the Midianites and smite them and, and destroy them and annihilate them. They never did it, and it was done later on, and at that point they were instructed. So clearly what's going on here is something different completely. Ubiur Ha'inyan says the Nasiva Shalom, let's look at it from a totally different perspective. Dina Isva Zara Kodosh, the Zohar says, You need to understand something fundamental, something that is crucial. It's the reason this story is mentioned in the Torah, despite the fact, as I mentioned um, in a piece that I did on Friday, last Friday for you, um, in my talk that was uh, sent out on Facebook. Actually, this was the gravest crisis that faced the Jewish nation ever in their entire history. It was a short history at that stage. But their entire history, they hadn't faced such a grave threat as they faced when they were up against two people who they didn't even know were attacking them. Namely, Balak, the king of Moab, and Bilom, the son of Ba'ur, this prophet of Baal. Although he was obviously a prophet who knew about God. And as the Pasuk says, the Pasuk is in Micha, I quoted it in my piece. Ami, my people, remember what it is that Balak, the king of Moab, wanted to do. My Bilam, and how Bilam responded to him, Bilam ben Ba'ur. What does that mean? You should know that since the dawn of our history, we have been through some of the most terrible moments that you can imagine. But in fact, says Micha, 
This is unique and singular in terms of any of the events that has ever taken place, any of the threats that have ever been lobbied and launched against the Jewish people. How can we understand that? Because nothing happened really. I know that 24,000 people died in the plague, but nothing really happened. What is it from Balak and Bilam? Actually, Bilam went home as far as we know, although we know from Chazal that he gave advice about the Benois Midyon. Even so, I mean, it doesn't seem, if we're going to weigh that up against, let's call it, let's, let's say, the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. Surely the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, we've just entered into the three weeks. We're coming to the three weeks, right? So if that's the case, how are we to understand? How are we to compare? If you're going to contrast and compare the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash with Bilam and Balak, would you say that the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash was not quite as bad? What are you talking about? Bilam and Balak never did anything. Bilam tried to curse the Jewish nation. It didn't work. Babir Bazer says the Nesiva Shalom, you have to know that Bolok was not a stupid man. He wasn't a fool. He knew very well that the Jewish people are not beatable. They are an unbeatable nation. They cannot be set aside. For as long as they cling to God, it is absolutely impossible to conquer them and to annihilate them. It is absolutely impossible. Bolok knew it. What was his intention? He had a deliberate goal. Do you know what that goal was? The goal was to create a period, a separation a gulf between the Jewish nation and their father in heaven. Only then would he able, be able to be victorious against them. In other words, he wants to achieve a very particular objective. To destroy the relationship, the special, unique relationship between the children of Israel, the Jewish nation, and their father in heaven, God. And for this particular reason, why did he go for Bilam? Why was it that he chose Bilam? He chose Bilam for a very specific reason. To come and curse the Jewish nation. Uh, the entire purpose of Bilam's presence at that moment in our history was to, through his curses, ensure a separation between God and the Jewish nation. That was what the intention was. And as we can see from his blessings, you can tell because if you reverse what he said, he said it in a blessing form. But if you understand what he was saying, you'll understand what he was trying to do if he would have been able to curse them. What did he say to them? The psukim revealed to us his intention. He said, No harm is in sight for Jacob. And no woe is in view for Israel. 
Hashem Eloikov Imoi. God, their God, is with them. Utruas Melech Boy, and their king's acclaim is in their midst. You see the two parts of that posuk. The first one is no harm should come to Jacob and no woe. What's he trying to say? That harm should come to Jacob and they should have woe. How's that going to happen? Well, let's look at the Pasuk again. The Lord, their God, is with them. What does he want? Harm should come to them because their Lord, their God, is not with them. Utras Melech, boy, no. That the king's acclaim should not be in their midst. In other words, the two sides of this equation were that harm will come to the Jewish nation if there is no connection and relationship between them and God. Isn't that an incredible revelation? And for this reason, we understand why I went from one place to another. It was literal, but also figurative. He went searching from one place to another to find the sins of the Jewish nation. Because through those sins, if he searched and sought out all those sins, he would be able to create this separation between those who were clinging to each other, namely God and the Jewish people. And that's why it says, as it says in the Pasuk, and he saw that they were good in the eyes of Hashem. That's why he could bless the Jewish nation. He could only bless them because they were toiv be'ene Hashem ba'yoshes alamidbar ponov, and and that's the the entire uh, context of this pasuk was that only blessings were possible because vayarki toiv be'ene Hashem. Ve'kashera, and when he saw shalidei klola seinu matzliach lasos meuma, that by trying to curse them, he wasn't going to be able to achieve his objective. He was getting absolutely nowhere. He realized, listen, there's no cause for me to curse them. I can only bless them. The only way that a curse or a separation can be realized is if we trip them up, if we cause them to sin. Because if they sin, with Baal Pa'ur, if we make Baal Pa'ur attractive, this pagan god attractive, and if they have illicit relations with the daughters of Moab, they're attracted to the daughters of Moab, and thereby they will have done these two grave sins. Through this, they will um, have achieved the separation between God and the Jewish people who cling to each other. And as we've explained, if you want to understand what is the gateway into every aspect of faith, it is sanctity. Because when a Jewish person behaves in, uh, with the behavior of sanctity, his faith is clear. He has absolutely no doubts in terms of his faith in God. A life of sanctity, a life of sacredness and purity 
enables you. It's a pathway to God. And if you want to understand why people have doubts in God, it only ever happens because they have slipped up in terms of issues of sanctity. If you've not behaved in a sanctified manner, then you should know you will have drifted from the purity of faith. Our natural drive is to be believers and faithful in God. That is our uh, primary genetic foundation as Jews. We are ma'aminim b'nei ma'aminim. Yehudi mitzad atzma yeshla emuna behira. In and of ourselves, we always have faith. But only if he becomes contaminated with matters of sanctity or the lack thereof, then he falls in terms of this in his faith. And it was for this reason that Bilam gave the advice, as Chazal tell us, to unite these two grave sins as one. And as a result of contaminating the Jewish nation, through the Znus with the Benois Mayav and the Benois Midyon, they would inevitably become attracted to the pagan god and their faith in the real and true God will have been diminished and destroyed. If you want to understand the zealotry that Pinchas had, he was jealous for God and he, and he put himself out for it. He immediately understood that it's the Znus that is going to destroy the Jewish nation. It could, it was 24,000 people, but at that stage it was still only znus. It was still only the illicit sexual relationships, but it was leading somewhere. It was heading in a direction that could have led to the most devastating holocaust of Jewish history. The destruction of the Jewish nation by creating this separation between God and his people. This znus. This illicit sexual behavior, inappropriate, unsanctified behavior, is the gateway. But you need to understand, as the Posuk indicated, which we read before, the real problem was the matter of the Avoidah Zorah. Um, as it says, Any person who goes after the pagan god Pa'ur, God, your God, will destroy from within you. And therefore we need to understand and need to know, as Micha said in Perik Vav, that this moment of problems for the Jewish people was the greatest and most problematic and most dangerous, potentially dangerous moment of Jewish history. And there's never been another moment like it. When there is a separation between the Jewish people and God, 
That is the gravest threat of all. Because for as long as a Jew is connected to God, there is a cure for any ill and any disease and any problem. That faith is the ultimate form of curative medication. Let's understand that Balak, the king of Moab, and Bilam, that evil prophet, their whole intention was to remove that faith that existed between the Jewish people and God. And that is, there's no greater threat to the Jewish people. And now we can understand this commandment of God. Attack the Midianites and destroy them. As the Arachaim explains. It's got nothing to do with Midianites specifically. It's not the material, physical people that you need to be tzerer, that you need to attack. It's a commandment to hate the evil that is represented by the Midianites. For those who cause you to sin, whose entire intention was to cause the Jewish nation to do the utmost evil. As it says, Tehillim David Amelech tells us, those who hate you, God will hate. These are the greatest haters of all. What does it mean? They are the ones who cause you to hate. Those, who, those are the ones that Hashem hates most. It's not It's Masni Echa. They cause you to hate God, and God hates them. They want you to hate anything that is good, anything that is positive, anything that has to do with God. For as long as there's no separation for the sinner from the um, desire of the thing that he's about to do, that which he um, which he is fond of. And he doesn't hate the bad. What is the solution? So that the Jewish nation can be atoned completely. The and the uh, ultimate atonement, God is instructing us. This is actually teshuva of the first order. This is rule number one. Attack the Midianites. A commercial Pirish Rashi, as Rashi explains, Aleichem la'ayev oisam. I can't do anything, says God. It is up to you to make them, these people who want you to hate me, to make them your enemies. As etsem You should find it in yourself, find the power within you 
to hate evil. And those who want you to do evil, those who are influencing you to do that which is bad, you need to find the strength within yourself to be a tzeroer es hamidyonim. That in and of itself is the first stage of atonement, the first stage of tshuva. Because the first thing you need to do is make sure that their effect on you is going to be minimized and neutralized. That which was said to Cain, to Cain in Bereshis Perek Dalad, you need to understand that the entire power of the evil inclination is that he is able to insert in your psyche the desire, the will, the interest in sinning. And he turns the sin into something very attractive. And through that, he will bring him down through all the sins. Because ultimately, sin, what does that do? It breaks your relationship with God. You need to conquer it. You need to be on top of it. Your duty as a human being is to take control. And distance yourself from that attraction that you have to doing the wrong thing. If somebody, if, if you despise the words of the Yetzirah and his advice, then automatically, if you become a Tzeroir Esa Yetzirah, you will be saved from it. And you will have conquered it, you will have taken control. And this is the meaning when it says The actual battle, the military campaign, the revenge against Midian was something for which they were only commanded at a later date, as it were. In Parshas Matos, it took some time later. The commandment here, it's got nothing to do with the Midianites themselves. It's to do with the result of what the Midianites were attempting to do, the sin. To undo that which the hate might have achieved. To cleanse yourself, to atone for that which the sin had even been in your midst. For that reason, he said, attack the Midianites, attack the Yetzirah, attack the cause of this problem. For as long as you do not despise and hate evil, you are st- it still lingers on. That sin is still there. Even if you're not sinning, it's still there. You didn't hate it. You're just not doing it. 
you need to hate it. You need to be a tsarayr. You need to attack it. You need to say that's wrong. I'm not going to do it. And that's how he explains the medrash. The posuk even though God says that you should destroy the city, but you shouldn't destroy the trees. In the Melchemes Midyan, they were instructed, in addition to destroying the cities, to uproot and totally destroy Eliminate their trees. It's up to you not just to make enemies of those who want you to sin. To, to, to completely uproot even that which could be conceived as good that may come from them. And Ilon is the good thing. It grows fruit. It's a nice thing. Nevertheless, if you find anything from among evil and those who wish you to do evil that is good, you might think that they are, ultimately, you might think that they are good. So, to destroy even the tree which produces a lovely fruit. Ultimately, if something, um, where did that thing come from? It came from something that wanted you to do bad. And therefore, even though it has the appearance of good, it is something that ultimately could lead you back to where you're running away from. You know, the Rambam says in Hilchas Tshuva that when you do sin, you need to not just eradicate the sin and do Teshuva for it, you need to be able to go back to that same place where you sinned and never sin there again. Somehow, you've got to completely... If, because if you're still scared of going back there, do you know what that means? It means you could sin again. The ultimate form of teshuva is to know that you've completely eliminated the possibility of sin. The ultimate possibility is through knowing that you're never going to do it again and that nothing that has any connection with that sin has got any connection with you. And now we understand the fact that God told the Jewish people You should smile. Why is it saying um, it's about taking complete control of totally uh, being in control and uh, eliminating the hatred through the ultimate form of hatred. It's initially through hatred, then ultimately that you will never, that even if that uh, possibility comes about, that you will never, that even at that stage, you will have the strength of character. You will have built up within yourself the resistance to the sin 
through the hatred that you have for it to the extent that you will be able to eliminate it when you come across it again. Even though at that stage they hadn't yet got to the moment when they were going to go into battle with Midian. At this stage it was all still theory. At this stage it was all still get it into your minds. First at this stage, at the theoretical stage, and then later on in Parshas Matos, you're going to have the strength to be able to beat them in battle. For now, what you're, what you're being commanded to do is until you're ready and willing and able and desirous of um, destroying them completely. The Cholzeh, he says, and this is a beautiful piece, especially as I am now in Eretz Yisrael. The Cholzeh Yisrael This entire episode took place before the Jewish nation came into Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is like a is like a magic wand for the Jewish people, but they hadn't had that magic wand yet. Yes, they've come out of Egypt. Yes, they've received the Torah at Har Sinai. Yes, they've had the greatest teacher of all time, Moshe Rabbeinu. But they haven't yet entered into the land. God wanted them to come into the land completely pure, and tohar, completely purged of any shemets of sin, legamre, completely. Mikol Ra, from any evil, after all the different things that had happened to them, and particularly at this moment, God wanted to make sure through Tzoroir Esamidyonim, Sheyichnusu Yisrael Le'oretz, Nekiim Umetuharim Legamri. V'zeu Mamar HaKosov, and this is what it means. Lahalon, Vahi Acharei HaMagefa. That's what it means when it says, and now it was after the Magefa, after the plague, now that Tzorayr Samidyonim has been expressed, and now that it's after the plague, the problem's over physically, materially, we're no longer there, and we're being mentally prepared for that moment. Remember the word su'u means raise up, not count. We, we translate it as count, but what it means is raise up the head of the entire congregation of Israel. There's a break in the middle of the pasuk. Before it says, and God said to Moshe, Su'u esroish. Madua. So why are they included in one posuk? And this And that's and the explanation is as we've already said. God's greatest desire at this stage was that the Jewish people will enter into the holy land, the promised land, all of them as righteous people. As it says, at the time when they were fighting Midian, the generals said to Moshe, Moshe, 
We've led these people into battle and not one person has died. Not one of them was killed in battle, but and they've not in any way been attracted or tripped up in sin. Because the Tzeroires Hamidyonim worked. Now they've gone into battle, they were mentally prepared and fully protected. They were Tzadikim. That's why it says, and it was after the Magaifa. Magaifa was over. We, uh, we draw a line. It's finished. We're done. Now that they're entirely cleansed of evil, after the Magaifa, in which all those who had even a shemetz of evil died, after they had fully carried out this instruction of and they'd reached the level of the ultimate atonement, then now that's the moment when God can say, now raise up, the head of the congregation of Israel. Now is the moment to create this united group of righteous Jewish people. That is the incredible moment that they forged themselves into being the righteous nation that could enter into the promised land as the pure nation of God. That was the moment when they became the Jewish nation that was the people of Israel for the land of Israel. That was the moment when they were able finally to enter into Eretz Yisrael as the pure nation that they needed to be. For the first time, says the Nesiva Shalom, God inserted his name into the count with reference to all the families of the tribes. Uh, um, it's, uh, uh, every single time the names are mentioned, you see the name of God. Because for this, it, um, for this reason, they are known as the Shifteka, Edusle Yisrael, Shashem, Yud Hey Meid Al Kedushasam. They're called the tribes of God, a testimony to the Jewish nation that the name Yud Hey testifies to their sanctity and sacredness. We didn't find that in the early accounts at the beginning of the book of Numbers. God wanted the Jewish nation to enter into the land of Israel, holy and pure. That's why he signed his name, as it were. His name is um, affixed to every tribe of Israel. It's like signed, sealed, and delivered that the Jewish nation is pure and holy, and that's how they came into the land. And it never happened again that there was this danger of separation, even in the ultimate moments 
of despair for the Jewish nation. Whenever we've had the most difficult moments and we've drifted away from normative Judaism, from practicing Judaism, we've still managed to maintain and sustain our faith in God, whatever that may mean to any individual who believes in God. Ultimately, it's what we call in Yiddish the Pintaliyid. There's something inside every Jew that has faith in God. And by the way, those Jews who drifted away, who married out, or converted, indeed, they disappeared in terms of their Judaism, in terms of their Jewish identity from the Jewish nation. They no longer belonged. They were no longer a part of it. They couldn't participate in the Jewish nation. That is exactly the point of Balak and Bilam. It's the point of Pinchas. It's the point of Tzeroir Esamidyonim. It's the point of Ikisem Isam to ultimately weaken, be victorious against the forces of evil as represented by Midyon, as represented by the Benois Mayav and the Benois Midyon, as represented by the ultimate form of desertion of God, of our faith in God in Baal Pa'or. That is the greatest distraction of all, leading to the greatest destruction of all. We'll leave it here. Thank you so much.